Hey guys, good morning. Thank you for joining us uh, today. There's a lot of different reasons that you may have joined us. We have people all over the world uh, that are watching. Uh, we want to let you know that we want to know you. Um, if we don't have a relationship with you in any way, uh, we want to hear about your story, what God's doing in your life. And a couple of ways that you can do that with us uh, is by going to our website at lifepointchurch.org um, where you can follow us on our social media accounts at our Facebook, um, Twitter, and Instagram. We have hope and, and pray that this sermon today uh, would help you in your relationship with Christ. Um, if you do not have a relationship with Christ, we want to help you uh, find one and, and know that uh, Jesus Christ is real. We want to help you in that. Part of having a relationship with Christ is being a part of a local congregation. Um, this today's sermon is not a substitute for biblical community. Um, it is just supplemental in your relationship. So we would hope that to see you um, at one of our gatherings on a Sunday morning at either 9 or 1030. Uh, so we really hope that we see you there soon. Uh, come see us and thanks again for, for joining us today. Welcome to the creek. And, and as we start into a new series this week, we're jumping back into Romans, Romans 13. And over the next four, six weeks, I think it's more like six weeks, um, we're going to finish up the book of Romans. And so with this series called the, the, the inverse law here. And so um, this, this inversion law, excuse me, is basically this principle here of the Christian life is to be lived differently than how the world lives it, right? So this idea is this world, it's not our home. Um, you know, we're, we're not going to spend forever here that there is a, a new heaven and a new earth that will be created in which by our Savior, Jesus Christ, in which we will dwell and live. And so our Savior is our King and our King is a suffering servant, right? That's, that's different than the world sees kings and kingdoms, right? And that ours is a countercultural kingdom. Um, and so that's the journey that Paul is going to kind of take us on as we close up uh, the book of Romans. So Paul, is, he's taught us theology. He's, he's kind of moved us now from, from that into now the now what phase of Christianity. And when I look around this room, I, I think that's where a lot of us are, all right, all right. Now, God, we call you our Savior. You are, we know you're, you're sovereign over these things, and, and you save sinners. Now what? Right? And uh, so the now what of Christianity is, it kind of points into this way and, and, and to this radical, audacious, countercultural salvation that God has accomplished. So, so this way um, is going to really kind of be put to the extreme for us in today's text. We're going to be in Romans 13, verses 1 through 7, uh, going to be very applicable to us today as we've wrestled with this and have wrestled with this idea for centuries, not just today in our immediate present content. Or context or, uh, you know, over the last 10 years. I mean, this, this question of how do you do this has been around. That's why Paul writes about it, right? And so what Paul is outlining here is how do you integrate the church and the state? How do you interact as a believer with government? What does that look like? I mean, obviously that's, that's high, you know, that's high priority in our minds today as we've just walked through an election and that's, it's all over the news every single day, something and, and, and it's a new presidency and what does this look like? And 
So Paul is going to help us by giving us timeless principles here. This isn't some kind of a treatise or like, or, or like thesis uh, uh, that just completely outlines every single way in which we are to interact with the government and what happens if this situation arises and what do we do in this situation. But what this is is timeless principles. So this word that we will hear today is just as applicable to us in American democracy as it is for our, our, our Bangkok friends in a Thai parliament or our Belge friends in a Belge monarchy. Right? These principles, no matter the government we find ourselves in or the state in which we live or, or, or the, the time period in which we live, these things are timeless and they will guide us because God has, uh, has allowed us to have this. And so here's the point. God is as strong as he ever was and he is to be obeyed above anything else in any other kingdom. So um, here's the predominant question being asked by Paul, Okay. Roman times, Roman uh, Caesar. So wh- what do we do with Caesar? What do we do with this guy? Do we support Caesar or do we not support him? That's kind of where he's at. And so the previous emperor it was Claudius. And Claudius, he, he could not stand the Jews. There was a threat there. And so he literally kicked the Jews out of the country. And so, um, so the Jews literally hated Roman law in which they were then forced to live under because obviously there was aggression toward them. And, and, and that's why the Jews were hoping for a political Messiah to come. That's why when they were hoping, the disciples even at the time were hoping that Jesus would be a king who would rule on the earth. And he will, just not yet, right? And that this, this, that's why Peter in the garden as Jesus was being arrested pulls his sword out and cuts the officer's ear off, right? He was thinking that there, we were in this for the fight. And, and Jesus was saying, no, 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 I don't need you. It's a different kind of fight. This is countercultural. This is different from the world. This is inverse from everything that you know, Peter. Just trust me and listen and watch and I will show you my power, right? And so all this time though that Paul writes, he's not under Claudius's reign and rule anymore. He's under Nero. Nero, obviously, his uh, reputation precedes him. Uh, one of the most evil rulers that the world has known, and just uh, most notably for Rome burning down under his control and the slaying and killing of Christians. Um, and so Christians, they needed to know in the church at Rome, how do you respond to such evil, anti-Christian political headship? How do you respond when the leader is not leading in a godly, biblical manner. How do you do that? And we're asking the same question, aren't we? I mean, what do we do when our political leader acts and legislates in a way that's contrary to the Bible? This, this question has never gone away in the face of Christianity, and, 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 and it's just been heightened because of all the news coverage, I think, that we were, we've been asking this over the last several, several years, and at my whole childhood and, and, and adulthood, that, that, that this is what we're asking. What, what, what do we do when Air Force One becomes Air Force One, right? That didn't sink in at all with y'all. I, I thought that was good. I thought it was really good. Um, it's okay. I'm not bitter yet okay and so here's the disclaimer (laughs) sorry it's like that joke you tell and you crack yourself up later you know (laughs) the this message isn't uh, a directive of of how you should vote it's not that's not what the, the point of the passage at all the votes have been cast 
And we need to be very active voters. The world uh, needs, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the gospel to come through every action. And voting is, is a part of our lives and, our, and the democracy we live in, right? And so we obviously need to be very integrally involved in the government in that way, right? But th- the votes have been cast. Nero's emperor, right? We're not questioning who's in reign and rule of Rome at this moment. That's not the question at hand. How do we now respond to who's in reign and rule of Rome, right? Whether you've won or you've lost your election, from your perspective, Christians are commanded to respond in a very certain way. And here's how Paul outlines this through the authority and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He writes these words in Romans 13, 1 and 2. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Right? So Paul has just said here very clearly, I think very helpful for, for a guy like me, God has established every government that's ever, ever existed. God has established every government that's ever existed. And because of that, we should be subject to that government, right? Paul is writing in a a not-so-nice government. We sit in a much nicer government. And, and, And so just think of that, just for the moment, the context in which he is writing. And so before we get into the details, because I know there's a lot of questions all of a sudden popping up in your head. Okay, what do we do about evil rulers? And what do we do about this? And what do we do about that? We're going to get to those questions. Those are right and good and fair questions that the believer should ask and should seek those answers in, in, in the authority of God and his word. All right, we, we will answer those. But first, I think the most foundational thing, and, and as I was studying this passage this week, the thing that really struck in my heart and, and convicted me the most was this, first of all, this idea of, of authority in general, especially given our Western culture. Because in our Western culture, sometimes we put, on the ped, we put people on a pedestal who resist authority, right? You know, and we see this, the, the ability to now resist authority as virtuous. Oh, yeah, look at this. This is good. This is, yeah, that, you know, that sort of thing. Now, I'm not saying that resisting authority can't honor God. We'll get to that question here in a minute. But I think that it's all too prevalent in our world that our immediate response when authority comes into our lives that isn't our authority is that we push back against it. Now, think with me for a second. Here's why this is crucial. All right? Rejecting authority was the original sin of Adam and Eve. Right? God had authority and reign and rule over the world just as he does today. And he spoke to Adam and Eve and he said, here, do not eat this this fruit. It's forbidden and it's for your good that you do not eat this. And so Adam and Eve said, nope, we got this handled. Uh, We're the, the supreme authority in our lives and we will do as we so choose, Lord. And we will eat of this fruit. And in doing so, in rejecting God's authority, they have distorted and destroyed the original relationship that God had created between us and him, between humanity and the Holy One of heaven. And so, keep thinking with me. How now do we then restore right our relationship with God? 
How do we now restore our relationship right with God, given the fact that sin has now entered our lives and our world? We submit to his authority again. We call Jesus Christ Lord. And when we call him Lord, that is not just some name given to him by the Bible. That that is a position in which we take saying that you reign and rule over my life. And all authority has been given to you, Jesus, from our Father. And it is you alone who can do things that I cannot do. And therefore, you you are the only one who can make my, my relationship right with you. And so therefore, I give you all authority over my life. To give and do and direct as you please. Because I cannot stand before God unless you stand in my place on the cross. And so that's what we do. This is the gospel. This is the good news. That, that, that Jesus Christ does have authority. And so when we start pushing back against authority, we're pushing against the gospel. Because God has established all governments. And at that point this week, I realized, man, the way we interact and respond to, the go- or to governments is a gospel issue. Because God has established those governments with his hand. And it is he that is overseeing every single detail. And we'll get to some of your questions right now. So what do we do with evil rulers? Are you saying, Jared, according to the scripture that we're reading... That Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying that God placed Kim Jong-un in, in ruler, as, the, as the, 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 the one in rule over North Korea. Yes. But that hairdo, that's all him. <laughs> you know? What that dude's thinking? What about Hitler? What about Hitler? Yeah. What do we do with that, though? What do we do with that? We know that all civil authorities are ordained by God. Good or evil, they're put there by the hand of God. Let me show you a biblical example of this. All right, let's go um, think of Nebuchadnezzar. Right? Ruled, he ruled a pagan, did, uh, a nation that did not fear or honor God in any way. They served their own purposes, right? Nebuchadnezzar in Jeremiah 27 uh, is, is already conquered Jerusalem. He's already routed Jerusalem. And, and so God in, in, in Jeremiah 27 refers to Nebuchadnezzar as his servant. God put him in place, God uh, placed him there to do his will in that time. He accomplished the will of God for God. And, then, and, and under this pagan reign and dictatorship, uh, um, Jeremiah writes and, and tells God's people in, in chapter 29, verse 7, that God's people, are, they're told to seek the welfare of the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nebuchadnezzar is a rule. He's right. now, now, under that reign and that rule that is not a, a, a God-fearing reign and rule, you now seek the welfare of the city. Be different. Enslaved, be different. Right? It's an inversion law. It, it, it's, and the purpose of seeking the welfare of the city is that so other people would look on, uh, on our actions and say, man, that's different than what the rest of the city is doing. Why, why so? 
Well, there must be some other way, and and there must be another reason they're operating that way. And when they look on that, they see authority that is greater than the laws of the land. They see the authority of of God and his Holy Spirit working himself out and, 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 and through the people so that other people's eyes may be opened up to gaze upon our God through our actions. Now, let's look at Pilate. All right, Pilate, a man ordered to murder Jesus. The only perfect man who's ever walked on the the world, Jesus Christ, was murdered by Pilate. But who was really in charge that day? Who was really in charge that day? Look, Look here with me at the exchange. And this is John chapter 19. Jesus and Pilate talking, you know, those final moments before he was, you know, uh, cast to be crucified. Pilate said to Jesus, you will not speak to me? I mean, Jesus wasn't like defending himself. He wasn't doing those things like he expected Christ to do. You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. The words of our our Lord and our Savior speak that God has placed governments, each and every one of them, in the situation they are. The crucifixion of Christ was ordered by a man that, that God gave that authority to. Not only that, but if you read Acts chapter 4, you'll see that Pilate and the Jews act accordingly to God's perfect plan. And then there's nothing outside of the hand of God, especially governing authorities. And so Paul here is telling the church that the Roman government was God's idea, that, that it was not man's, and that God sustains it, and that Caesar was God's man for the job. Yes, He'll kill Christians. Yes, the tax money that the, the, that the Christians were paying to the Roman government was used to then turn around and kill these Christians. And, and the truth still stands that they were established by the hand of God. Therefore, we ought to submit to governing authorities out of pure reverence for God. If this is God's hand at work, then then we need to recognize that first and foremost. And that the governing ruler does not have final authority. Pilate did not have final say-so over Jesus' life. Jesus willingly submitted himself to God. And it was his will for Christ to die on the cross for our sins. Pilate did not have final say. There is a higher authority. And that authority gives and takes away power. That authority, God himself establishes kings and kingdoms and destroys kings and kingdoms. Revelation 6, I was reminded this morning as I was just reading of, of that, the fact when Christ himself, the king of kings, returns, that kings and, and, and generals and armies will flee to the caves, it says, because of the power and the might and the authority of a king who will rule and has ruled from the beginning of time. This is my God, and this is the God of the Bible. Hmm. He uses voting ballots, he uses hanging chads, he uses electoral colleges to establish and accomplish his will. He is sovereign over the means of that 
that, that leader coming in and the ends in which that leader has come into reign. But when is enough enough? When should we invoke civil disobedience because of corrupt governments or, or laws that disobey Scripture or, or that, that are far from God himself? When, when do we have sit-ins and when do we do marches? Right? When do those things come into play? Well, when the government commands something that is contrary to God's law, to God's commands. Right? God trumps everything. There are scriptural examples, too, of civil disobedience. You have the Hebrew midwives in, in Egypt, right? They were commanded by Pharaoh to kill the firstborn sons. Um, and, and no, no, they didn't do that. They didn't do that. And then God used them. They, they honored God in that way, right? Um, and then you have an uh, example like Daniel, Right? You have Daniel praying. He was in he was in, you know, these foreign countries under foreign rule, and prayer to God was outlawed in the land. So what did Daniel do? He prayed to God on the second story in his room, by the window, he was seen. And so, you know, he said, I'm not worshiping this idol you've created. I'm not worshiping this 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 God that you've made with your own hands. And Peter and John, they were told to stop preaching. The gospel, weren't they? What did they do? Nah. In Acts chapter 4, they came back. They preached it the next day. And their response to the governing authorities was that, man, we got to obey God rather than man. We must obey God rather than man. If the government had, you know, legislated the mandatory abortion of, of, of babies for population control, what would we do? We'd go forth and multiply. Amen? You know? If, if we were restricted to meeting together regularly and we couldn't do that, what would we do? Man, you ain't stopping me. I need you. God has established the church for the edification of the saints in order that we may become closer to Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, and that we may live our lives more like him. And I need you and you need, well, I don't know if you need me, but that's a question to be asked. But we have been given this gift called the church and it is Christ's bride and, and it will not be disbanded because Jesus loves his bride. If the Bible were banned in other countries, dadgummit, if it was banned in this country like it were in others, here you go. You need a Bible? The Word of God cannot be stopped and it should not be stopped because God Himself has established every government and every kingdom and every nation that this world has known. He is the King. Of all those kings. Oh. And, and, and if we were commanded to, to, to stop preaching the gospel on issues like homosexuality. If I was told, Jared, you will be arrested if you preach, preach against homosexuality. Because that's what the Bible said. I'm saying, I, I would preach the word of God. Now, let me dispel a rumor. First service, I said, if I was commanded to stop preaching uh, homosexuality, 
instead of preaching against homosexuality, I would teach anyway. So if, if anybody else says that, that's false. I'm going to take the power out of their hand right now, okay? I, I, I said it. I said it. I'll confess. Because we have to be people who stand on the authority of the word. And isn't God clear on this issue of that he has established all governments and all kingdoms and all rulers? God's the final authority on what we do in our lives. And he's the only one that we should even fear disobeying, right? He is the one who trumps all authorities and all governments and all laws because he has established them. Now, what does Paul continue to say in verse 3 and 4? Let's read. Paul writes, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. So if you do well, it's kind of what he's saying, no reason to fear. Would you have no fear of the one who is, who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now, first, let me say something here real quick. Notice that, that the ruler has been made God's servant, just like Nebuchadnezzar was made, right? This language continues in Scripture, and it is consistent from the Old Testament to the New Testament and how we are to live and interact. I think that's helpful for me. But the reality is here that Caesar is most likely going to read this letter. Paul knew that. I mean, if he's writing a letter in the, in, the, in the kingdom of Rome under the rule of Caesar and it's going to be copied and then sent out to the various churches too, man, I bet Caesar knows all about that letter. And he was no fool. Paul was no fool. And so in, in stating many of these things, Paul is writing a message to the Roman authorities too. First, that Christians are not out to overthrow the Roman government. Because this was a real threat, right? Christians refer to Jesus as the king of kings. You've heard me say that a thousand times. That means that he's king over Caesar in, in, the, in the worldview of the Christian. And that says uh, that, 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 could, that could sense, that could, that could communicate a threat unless it was explained. And so Paul here in this explanation says that one could assume that Christians were, were, were starting this, this grassroots revolt. But Paul wanted Caesar to know that that's not the plan. That's not the plan, Caesar. Paul also wanted Caesar to know that God is on the throne and that Caesar is responsible for every single one of his actions before God. And that, that, that it, the way you lead, you will, you will answer for that, Caesar. That should help us. Trump isn't God. American democracy isn't God. That Belgian monarch isn't God. Our law isn't the highest law. God's law is God is God and he is the king of kings. And so Paul is here outlining for us in these two verses, three and four, the right role of government. I mean, and this makes sense to us. I think this would be very clear, right? Protect those who do right. Punish those who do wrong. It's very clear. This is the law of, of most lands, right? This is the law of, of the world that the world knows, right? But, and then he says that wicked rulers here aren't, aren't, are ones basically who, aren't, who, aren't, who don't do these things. They're, wicked rulers don't protect. W wicked rulers are out for themselves, right? And so 
John Calvin says that God uses wicked rulers as his scourge to punish the sins of the people. In other words, we get the rulers we deserve. We get the rulers we deserve. And, and I want us to think for a second, what does this mean, given the candidates we had to choose to vote from? That, that we have got to look at our hearts each and every day. We've got to look at our country and that we've got to be inverse of the world in hopes that, that people wouldn't put all their trust in, in our president, whoever our president is. That they would put all their trust and that they would submit all of their authority to the King of Kings and call Jesus Christ the Lord of their life, right? And I believe that Paul here in this passage is writing just a ton of absolutes. I mean, here's just a few. I'll reread. Be subject to the governing authorities. Do what is good. He carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Paul is not giving a ton of like wiggle room, escape clauses, or anything else. Why? Why is he not? Because I believe Paul is more concerned with humility and the dying of self and, 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 then, and dependency even on Jesus than civil liberties and rights for us. I mean, remember what he wrote just previously in, in Romans chapter 12. He called us to live a life of living sacrifice, didn't he? Right? Uh, he, he called us a, a, a to that kind of life. And now he's outlining more and more what that life looks like. Here's what a life of living sacrifice looks like when you interact with the government. Here's what a life of living sacrifice looks like a, at the end of Romans chapter 12. When, when someone does evil to, do, to you, this is how you respond in good for the glory of Christ that others may know him. This is what this life looks like. And Paul is helping us bring clarity to that. So we're not going, uh, now what? And so in our culture, it's just easy to be consumed with the fact that, man, our rights are being abused. Or don't offend me. Don't wrong me. Don't do anything I don't like. And that this American outcry of civil liberties and, and, and personal agendas isn't the way of the cross, though. The way of the cross is that we would be living sacrifices. Two words that don't seem to go together. This is the inversion law. This is the inverse of the world. That we would be living sacrifices. Dying to ourselves every day and completely trusting God that he is in control of all and authority and has authority over all. Romans chapter 13 verse 5 says, Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath but also for the sake of conscience. One must be in subjection of the government. Not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. We obey the law, not only because of fear of punishment or fear of, of sharing a jail cell, cell with Bubba. You know, we obey law because we fear God, first and foremost, as believers. We fear God. And it's not merely just some outward compliance to just, I'm going to do this because it says do this. But this is inward obedience and reliance and trust that is welling up within us because of a deepening and more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ that we, we, we with all that we have, want to do those things in order to please our Father who is in heaven, who has willingly adopted us into his family. So that means that we fill out our tax forms rightly. I mean, that means that we, we, not just in fear of wrath or punishment or getting audited, but because God is God. And we 
want a clear conscience before him. We want to stand right before God on all these issues. As much as I even hate to say this, <laughs> we, we drive the speed limit because we need to honor God. You know, when you're going to lunch today, 10 and 2 for the glory of God, you know, let's go. Because let me tell you what, <laughs> you do that, the whole world's going to be saying, what's up with that guy? It's going to be inversion law for sure. And then Paul ends, uh, ends our passage for the day in verses 6 and 7. He's, he writes this. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God. Attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. Paul says that governing authorities are ministers of God, just like he said of Nebuchadnezzar. He was a servant of God in Jeremiah 27. So, Jared, you tell me, President Trump, he minister of God. I mean, honestly, that should give us hope for call. You know what I mean? If you have a call and you're a minister of the Lord, like, yes, governing authorities have been established by God for his purposes and his will, right? Performing task of making sure that, that people are, tr- are, 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 are establishing rules and laws to help people to be treated well, who are, who are obeying and, and treating others well, and for punishing those who are hurting others. Now, we know governments don't always act that way around the world. But notice here the wording. All civil authorities are worthy of respect, it says there. Paul writes in verse 7. Respect. And he writes verse, he also writes honor. So, okay, respect, honor. Is there a difference here, distinguishing? Yes, right. So, so the idea here is that we 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 respect those in governing authority in governing roles because of the office they hold. That office has been established by God. That's why if I met uh, our president, no matter who the president would be, good, bad, ugly, evil, I was Mr. President. Nice to meet you. We respect that role because it's been established by God. We, we, we respect our mayor because he's been established by God in that regard. But notice the word honorable. If they are honorable in personal integrity, in, in, in their morals, in the way that they serve the community and the people that they govern, then we give them honor at a personal level. So to be clear here, Paul isn't promoting some kind of moralism, but, but complete subjection and submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ here. Your relationship with Christ, are you calling him Lord in all areas of your life? Are you giving him complete authority over your life? That relationship is the foundation from which all other uh, relationships will, will stem. So, so to honor, uh, uh, to call Christ Lord and, and, and to completely disrespect the offices that he has established would be a sin against God. Yes, yes, we stand up for the word of God first. But we trust that God has established those roles, those offices, and we trust him first and foremost in all areas of our life. So then lastly, what, what's, what's the primary way we're to withstand corrupt, principally unchristian governments? So how are we supposed to do that? Well, first and foremost, we've got to understand that our citizenship is not of this world. Let me read you some texts that prove that. Philippians 3.20, Paul writes here to the church of Philippi, 
but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings. That is our citizenship in heaven, the new heaven, the new earth that he is preparing and will uh, come one day to claim those who call him Lord to dwell in that city, in that state, in that kingdom. Then Peter writes in 1 Peter 2, he writes this in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's why, that's why in Jeremiah they said, uh, go into the city and, and do good. Right? Seek the welfare of the city. So that they may see their good deeds and, and glorify God. And that they may, their eyes may be open to the God who has established the city to begin with. Jesus is our king. There's no king. There's no president that is above him. We submit our human authority to a higher authority. Jesus tells us that we submit for his glory. Look at the next verse in verse 13 of 1 Peter 2. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. One day Christ is going to come and then all wicked and all good and all decent governments alike will be wiped away. And then there will be one government and one ruler, the ruler who is still and has always been in control from the very moment the time was established and created to the very end, which we will never see because he is eternal. There will be one and only executive order. But until then, it is our desire as citizens of this city, of this state, and of this nation that we would work and serve for the welfare of these places in order that, 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 the, that we would be able and that others would be able to hear the gospel and proclaim Jesus as the ultimate authority of their lives. This is the inverse of the world and the culture we live in, right? Our culture says that, man, we should, we should curse the president if we disagree with them. We've seen a lot of that, news, Facebook, all other places. But the inversion, the inverse law, Scripture itself, says that we should pray for your president and other government leaders. Our culture says that, that here's the way that we should think about sexuality and that we should think about immigrants and, and refugees, avoiding taxes, abortion, all these things. This is defined for you by culture, and yet God says, mm, no, no, I gave life. Who are you to take it? Our culture says that when someone doesn't agree, man, we shout at them, we bully at them. Dad Gummin, I'm responding to that email in all caps right now, you know? <laughs> but, but God says, man, we should be civil in hopes of winning others to the Lord. Our thoughts, they, they cannot be Democratic or Republican. Our responses must be biblical and scriptural. These are not political issues that we're talking about. These are biblical gospel issues. I'm going to invite our band to come up. And, but I, I, want to, I want to also, as they're making their way up, to speak some specific application for us. How do we interact with our president? How do we interact with our city leaders? Here is, first and foremost, the easiest and most accessible way for each and every one in this room, no matter your age, no matter your, your capacity. 
First Timothy 2, verse 1. First of all, then, I urge you that, or I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We have got to pray. And God affirms us in Romans 8. Paul has already written, pray, pray, pray. And, and, and the Holy Spirit will intercede with groanings that we don't even know we need. He will also intercede uh, um, for us and with us before the throne of God. We have got to do this. This is necessary that we would pray for our president. That President Trump would be interceded for by the members of this church every day. That we would pray for um, the Belgian monarchy. As those Belgians and, and the Life Point church there, as they interact with the government. That, 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 that we would pray for the welfare of their cities. And that they would live lives that are countercultural to the world in which they live in. So if we don't live this way, then, then how will the world recognize that way beyond this city... The city of Smyrna is the city of God. How will the world see that, that beyond the state of Tennessee is the state of heaven? And way beyond the White House is the great white throne of God himself who reigns in heaven as we speak and, 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 and anticipates the day to send his son to claim his children from this world of sin that we may know him and live in right relationship forever and eternity through faith in Jesus Christ, who is the king of kings now and forevermore. May we be these people for the sake of the gospel and the glory of God and this city. We pray for us. Father, that you would reign and rule over our lives first and foremost. That all authority in heaven has been given to Jesus Christ and we call him Savior through faith. That he has willingly died a sinner's death on the cross, taking the punishment we deserve. And God, we submit authority of our lives to him alone. All areas of our lives, God, may we, may we, may we, may we leave no stone unturned. Because he is king of kings and in him we trust that that all things will be worked out for the good of those who love him and God may we trust him when it comes to our government and we, we pray earnestly for the salvation of those who serve our country and our cities that may not know you as their father father may we be a light into this world may we be different and distinguished only by the guidance of the Holy Spirit that has caused us and stirred us up to do this thing that honors you and that thing and not that thing that dishonors you. May this be may this be our fruit that we would do these things for your glory alone. God, we submit ourselves to you in this time. Reign over us. In Jesus' name.